0: Under the sea. Under the sea. Darling, it's better down where it's wet and take it from me. I'll find the shore, they work all day. I'll bring in the sun and slave away. Well we devote full time to floating under the sea.
1: <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to Around the World in 80s movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website. Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews since 1996, but I cover all eras of film. You can read all of my written reviews there, over 4,000 of them to choose from, at Quipster.net. That's Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R dot net. Today, I'm going to be starting the first of another three-part series on this show, even though it's kind of in continuation with a film that I covered last week, which was Splash. We're going to have another mermaid film here, which is going to kick off the first of a three-part series of films from the 1980s in which two lovers have to overcome a monster, a giant monster, in order to ultimately be together. Of course, when you think about mermaid films, other than Splash, you think of The Little Mermaid, and that's the film I'm going to be reviewing today. 1989 is the year of release animated fantasy musical. It's a G-rated film. It's suitable for all audiences. There is some mild violence and some scary imagery in the film. The runtime is an hour and 23 minutes. The vocal cast of this animated feature includes Jody Benson as Ariel, Pat Carroll, Christian Daniel Barnes, Buddy Hackett, Samuel E. Wright, and Jason Marin. The directors and screenwriters are Ron Clements and John Musker, If you've been listening to this podcast a while, especially when I covered the films of Don Bluth, you know that Disney's reputation in the industry had started to be on the decline since about the late 60s. That caused Don Bluth and many other animators to leave the studio because they felt that Disney was not living up to the tradition under which they had been under the direction of Walt Disney, of course. However, in 1989, they ended up turning around their reputation here with the release of The Little Mermaid, which is Disney's loose and much more upbeat take on the Hans Christian Andersen tale that was originally published back in 1837, had a much more dour ending than the one you find in this film. They were looking to restore more old-fashioned emphasis on fairy tale stories, this being their first full fledged effort in the fairy tale genre that largely popularized the studio. The last major release was back in 1959 for Sleeping Beauty. This is a story that, despite Disney during Walt's day, they planned to adapt The Little Mermaid and other Hans Christian Andersen stories back in the 1940s. They never ended up doing it. And when this story was pitched during their initial pitch meeting, the powers that be rejected actually going forward with this because. They felt that they already had a Mermaid film in development. They were doing a Mermaid-related film for a follow-up to their 1984 smash hit Splash for their subsidiary Touchstone Pictures. However, a short script treatment was turned in, it reached the desks of the execs, and they ended up liking the idea, after all enough to make the plunge, and that caused a very development-plagued sequel to Splash called Splash 2 to never see the light of the silver screens. That film ended up relegated as a made-for-TV film without any of the main talent on board. Meanwhile, director and co-writer John Musker's script was back on the table and okayed Greenlit for four years of production, and the rest, of course, is cinematic history. As far as what the film is about, obviously, we have a mermaid here, Ariel, She is a hopelessly romantic teenage daughter of a sea king named Triton. Ariel ends up meeting and saving and then falling in love, I guess, with a land-walking, seafaring human prince named Eric. After Triton vehemently disapproves of her pursuing a relationship out of the sea, Ariel makes a pact with the Wicked Witch of the Sea, Ursula in order to have herself appear as human, to walk on land and woo the handsome object of her desires with human legs. Unfortunately, in addition to losing her fins, Ariel has to also give up her beautiful voice, that voice being the identifying object that Eric fell for. So it's going to be very tricky to try to woo Eric in a world in which she knows very little about, And without the ability to communicate and to try to do so in short order, she has three days to make him fall for her or else she'll become another mermaid that ends up becoming Ursula's decrepit slave forever. So in addition to the romance between Ariel and Prince Eric... The Little Mermaid is chock-full of memorable, anthropomorphized supporting characters. Those include, not quite anthropomorphized, I guess, the menacing Ursula. She's this half-human, half-octopus. More anthropomorphized is the delightful scene-stealer of the film named Sebastian the Crab, who's voiced with a Jamaican accent by Samuel E. Wright. There's the loyal side buddy to Ariel Flounder. A klutzy, comic relief character, very typical for Disney animated features named Scuttle, the pelican that's voiced by comedian Buddy Hackett. The film's also beautifully voiced in the purest of fashions with Broadway actress Jodie Benson. She's delightfully demure, and she brings out the innocence, but also a lot of the spunk in a role that necessitates that we immediately like Ariel. Ariel here reportedly was made a redhead in order to differentiate her from Madison from the movie Splash, who was blonde. So from the first moment that we do see Ariel, we do like her, and that's especially important because there's this prolonged period of time in which we don't hear Ariel's voice when she gives it up as part of the contract with Ursula. So it's very important to get all of that character building in the first half and to get us on board with what happens to Ariel. And I think that this movie is very successful in that regard. It's hard to imagine, as far as vocal talents go, a more voluptuous and menacing voice than Pat Carroll's does for Ursula. The character was written with B. Arthur in mind, another very husky-voiced actress. And her, as far as her design work for her body, it was strongly suggested to do it in the fashion of the famous drag actor named Divine. If you've seen John Waters' films, of course you know who Divine is. That was the inspiration for Ursula. Samuel E. Wright adapts a Jamaican accent. The original intent for the character of Sebastian was not even to be called Sebastian. It was going to be called Clarence, and it was going to be in the voice of a stuffy British minion. That character would have been less impactful to the story, but in the process of making Sebastian, as they redubbed the character, to a Jamaican crab, that proved to be a very smart move, and they also upped the amount of time that Sebastian appears on the screen, and that makes that character thoroughly enjoyable and brings a great deal of personality to two of the most memorable and catchy Calypso songs that end up being in the film. Those are Under the Sea and Kiss the Girl very nice here to see that emphasis is placed on the best voice for each actor instead of going for celebrity status. We have really good voice actors, each perfect for their roles. It's a choice that works very well in making each particular character so memorable, not only in their voice but also in carrying that design work that Disney does so well in animated form. This one's directed by the team of Ron Clements and John Musker. Clements and Musker previously collaborated in in contributing the writing and directorial duties for another Disney film in the 1980s called The Great Mouse Detective. That was back in 1986. Here they set out to try to craft something special from the outset. We have traditional hand-painted cells. Those comprise most of the film's 2D style. The ending scene, the directors employ something new, though a, a new digital technology that ended up being used by Disney in other short form films before, called CAPS. CAPS standing for Computer Animation Production System, that stemmed from a very early collaboration between Disney and the animation studio called Pixar. The CAPS style would end up being the style that Disney would use for a period on animated features. Henceforth, in fact, in full. At least that was used until 3D computer animated films would become the more predominant choice for feature films sometimes in the early to mid 2000s. One of the biggest highlights of The Little Mermaid, of course, is the music, perhaps still the best in Disney's long string of animated musicals. Disney had originally hired Howard Ashman to put together the theme-appropriate songs. He then reached out to Alan Menken to compose the music. Ashman and Menken had already worked together before on a stage musical called Little Shop of Horrors that was a hit back in the early to mid-80s, and it ended up being its own film back in... 1986. The approach here from Ashman and Menken would be to try to combine more traditional Broadway musical style in their numbers with a more catchy reggae and calypso styling, and that resulted in the soundtrack separating this film from the rest of the animated musicals of their past due to that flavor, while also embracing some classic Disney formula in the storyline and some of the musical numbers. The music would prove to deliver the greatest accolades for The Little Mermaid. It would go on to win two Grammys and also two Oscars. An Oscar for Best Song, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman's Under the Sea bested their own Kiss the Girl, which was also nominated, and for Alan Menken's original score. The platinum-selling soundtrack was a huge hit. It would go on to become, at least at that time, the biggest ever for an animated feature. Another highlight of The Little Mermaid is an emphasis on a vibrant color palette some rich, sumptuous art design. You have richness in the foreground and in the background, which is something that the studio had, at least for the past couple of decades, eschewed in the name of cost-cutting. That matched along with the music, the editing, the animated choreography. All of that is truly a delight to behold, and it lingers in the memory of the film far beyond the simple, but very touching story at the heart of the feature. In fact, the story seems to be secondary to all of the bells and whistles that they throw in, but it's all part of the charm that ends up sweeping you away. You know, this is not a film that I would say is very pushy about its themes, but they are there, themes that are kind of typical for Disney. You have uh, uh, the main character, the heroine here, trying to fulfill her desires, trying to break from the entrenched nature of her family and the societal expectations of her clan in order to try to live the life that she truly desires. Even if the consequences may not work in her favor, there's an attempt here at leading the life that she's always dreamed about, especially on the verge of adulthood, and the film suggests that it's worth the effort, instead of accepting one's lot in life and always feeling misunderstood or perhaps living a life of regret for never really trying to break out of that mold. With that, there also comes a caveat, that there are people out there, this is embodied in the Ursula character, who are going to try to use your ambition in order to try to get something for themselves. They are acting as the gatekeepers to your dreams. So Ariel, in this film, she filled her personal space with a lot of the shiny objects that she found that came that sank to the bottom of the ocean from up above, much in the way that teenagers, real human teenagers, adorned their walls with posters and pictures of their favorite actors or their favorite films or their the teen idols within the music world and Ariel having to give up her voice in order to so-called get in the game, that's symbolic of what many artists, young entertainers, gave up in order to try to break into show business, especially when they signed contracts that greatly impacted their freedom later. So you can see that the many artists that worked on this film probably relate to that theme. The Little Mermaid would go on to rejuvenate a very struggling Disney animation wing that had lost a lot of the public's interest. It ended up earning nearly $90 million on a, I think it was a $23 million budget. That was a pretty big hit for them. In fact, the biggest hit animated feature, at least up to that date. However, interestingly, if you think about The Little Mermaid, you think this is a huge film, right, for Disney? But if you actually look back at the box office receipts, it's interesting to find that The Little Mermaid actually never rose above being third at the weekly box office in the United States during its initial release. It didn't even crack the top 10 of 1989 in terms of its gross. They ended up reaping greater rewards on the home video market, though, as well as in the related toys and merchandise, and it's still a big seller today at Disneyland and other toy stores for people who like this property. This film has a lot of likable, very fully expressive heroes. You have a formidable and very memorable villain. You have a clever script. You have a good emotional core to the story Colorful animation, and some of the catchiest songs ever produced for an animated feature. Ashman's lovely lyrics and Mencken's wonderful scoring on top of that. The Little Mermaid, because of all of these things, would upend upstart competitors like Don Bluth and others to push Disney back into the forefront of American animation again. And to do so in a very new, although very respectful to the old ways, that no one else has been able to touch since. This is a very affectionate fairy tale. It delighted a generation of fans back then and continues to do so for generations to come. Disney has done bigger, arguably better, I guess, depending on your point of view, since The Little Mermaid, but the formula of The Little Mermaid is really key in providing the blueprint on what audiences craved and all of those other features, so you got to give The Little Mermaid a lot of credit for not only breaking the mold of what Disney had been doing, but also for setting the mold for the next at least decade of films that they produced. This is an oceanic animated musical that proved to be the tidal wave that rejuvenated Big budget animation from 1989 on. I really enjoyed The Little Mermaid. I would definitely recommend it for everyone, so I have no choice but to give it. Four stars out of four. I think it's a delightful and a very great movie. It stands up to multiple viewings, and I could probably watch it endlessly, and I probably will. I have a six-year-old daughter who you're actually going to hear from in a moment as far as her thoughts on this film. So four stars out of four for The Little Mermaid. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. As far as the film from the 1980s in which somebody has to overcome a giant monster because Ursula was, for at least for a period in this film, a giant monster that they ha- had to overcome in order to have two lovers get together. I'm going to be covering film that I really loved as a kid for next week's review and that is 1981's Clash of the Titans. Yes, a film that I actually credit for my love of mythology. I ended up getting a degree not in film studies but in classics classical civilization so greek and roman times and i credit to a large extent my love for clash of the titans for spurring that on so we'll cover that film next week before i go i do want to remind you that i also do a film review podcast that covers new films that are out in theaters that's called the quipster film review podcast you can search for it wherever you're listening to this and you'll probably find it that's quipster with a w -W q-w-i-p-s-t-e-r until next time thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. Hi everyone, I'm here with my daughter Lily, she's six years old, and Lily, I know you've seen The Little Mermaid before, how many times have you seen it now?
0: So many times, I don't really know.
1: (laughs) You don't know? yeah do you love the little mermaid
0: yeah
1: yeah what do you like the most about the film
0: that it was based underwater
1: and what do you like about movies that are underwater
0: they have lots of mermaids lots of
1: mermaids so any movie with mermaids is okay with you yeah now you watched splash with us we didn't get a chance to talk about that did you enjoy that one as well yeah yeah did you like ursula in this film no wow why not
0: She is weird.
1: She's weird. Not that she's bad. She's just a little weird. Uh Uh-huh. And what makes her weird?
0: The eels always swim around her.
1: Yeah, she has those eels that are her little evil minions, I guess. Sebastian the crab, do you like him? Yeah. Okay, well, that's good. Now, what do you like about Sebastian?
0: I like that he sings a lot.
1: (laughs) He sings a lot. Now, Ursula gets to sing in this movie, but you don't like her. How come?
0: She has a creepy
1: voice. <laughs> What's your favorite song in the movie?
0: Part of the World.
1: Part of part of your world? Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that song was almost cut out of the film. They thought it was a little too slow and they thought kids would get restless, but that's your favorite. Well, that proves them wrong. What would you do if you were a mermaid? I
0: would swim around and find cool objects.
1: What would you hope to find best of all?
0: Gold.
1: If you had a bunch of gold right now, what would you buy?
0: A cheetah.
1: A cheetah? <laughs> But what are we going to do with the cheetah? We have a, a, a condo.
0: Put it outside for all of the neighbors
1: to scream. Yeah, the neighbors would scream at seeing a cheetah in the neighborhood, and probably the other little puppies and kittens would probably be chased around by the cheetah and become cheetah food, I'm guessing.
0: Poor doggies and kiddies. Yeah.
1: Now, what do you think the cheetahs eat?
0: Um, fish.
1: Fish. I'm glad they don't eat fish, Lily, because our fish... Charlotte would be gone, and also half of Ariel. What do you give The Little Mermaid on a scale of 1 to 10?
0: 11.
1: Now, Lily, you've given films 100 before. How come The Little Mermaid only gets 11?
0: I don't know. It guess 11.
1: <laughs> Our 1 to 10 ratings are kind of all over the place, but Lily loves this movie. I'm sure she'll watch it many, many more times. Okay. Until next time, Lily, say goodbye to everybody.
0: Bye-bye.